I was like, why would you want to swim in a heated pool? Those don't exist in Alabama. I mean, they're just pools. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hey, Kara. (laughs) Oh, hey, Chris. Sorry, I, I was watching the countdown, and then when it got to zero, I forgot that that was my cue. I mean, you just got mesmerized by the numbers, didn't you? I did, right? It was like a, a dissociative screensaver. Speaking of which, guess what I'm doing tonight? <sighs> Making a screensaver or dissociating uh, from your body? Dissociation <laughs> at my book reading. You're doing a book reading? Where? I'm doing a book reading at Ernest and Hadley here in Tuscaloosa. It's a local local bookstore uh, run by by a friend of mine. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. Yep, 5.30. If you're in Tuscaloosa and you can go back in time, feel free to join me. I was about to say, like, this is not going to work out well for promotion. (laughs) No. Not really worried about it. Not at all. But you know why I told you? Because you sent me your book. Well, yeah. Also, because we're talking about public engagement. Public engagement. Also. Penises. The the little, little dick grapes have returned. Oh, dick grapes. Well, you know, speaking of dick grapes also, today's guest is both fantastic at public engagement and also just so happens that she's written a chapter in the wiley encyclopedia of primatology called dicks shaped like grapes or grapes no i'm sorry the copulatory postures of non-human primates but she also has a lot of tiktoks and videos about boobs butts and boners and she just posted something today with her 3d printed skull that she was talking about yesterday and we talking to today, Kara. We are talking to Natalia Reagan, who is an on anthropologist. The, oh, wait, what? On the, sauce, on the sausage of science. I should name On the sausage of science. Our actual program. Who is an anthropologist, primatologist, comedian, host, producer, podcaster, professor, writer, and monkey-chasing weirdo. That was All well true. Done. She also used to be a comedy writer. I think she's still a comedy writer for Neil deGrasse and Star Talk. She used to be a regular host on the Star Talk All Stars podcast, or maybe she still is. She's going to correct me. A science correspondent on Thrillist Daily Hit. A science expert in history's unexplained. So much here. She was co-host on Spike TV. Is that even still around? Ten million dollar Bigfoot bounty. So much. And I just wow, wow. And also, before she was an anthropologist, she was an actress. You've probably seen the back of her head in My Name Is Earl, the Drew Carey show. Better Off Ted, I don't remember mm-hmm. that show. Sex Drive, I don't remember that show. But now I have to go back and watch those shows to see if I can see Natalia's head. Shall we You're going to watch on? all of these shows, yes, rather than just Maybe. ask her which episode. <laughs> yeah, I might do that. I did come back from Hawaii and start um, binging Magnum P.I. and Hawaii Five-0. So Yes. They, they, uh, they aged sort of okay. Sort of. They aged sort of okay. <laughs> Behold, Natalia! Behold! 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 Behold. Now, Natalia, what is the state of your 3D printed skull? Is it done? Yes, but I'm trying. Yeah. We're trying to get it busted out of the the actual um, support material. It's really thick. It's really. I'm going to wait until my partner is here because I, do, I don't trust myself with a hammer and this beautiful skull that took 40, 40 hours to print. 40. Oh so, goodness. yeah, this is, you know, you recognize KMN 
WT seventeen thousand. So there you have it. Where do you get WTF the um, with the the WTF seventeen thousand? Natalia, where do you get like the downloadable instructions for that skull? Where are you getting the uh, the data for that? That's a great question. So this particular one, I think he got off a website, but I also have other friends in the know that are scanning them at their schools. So, and that's one of the things that we want to do next is to get a scanner, but there are some programs and apps that you can do it on your phone. So uh, Mm -hmm. say for instance, actually my friend, Brian Dunning, who does the Skeptoid podcast, and uh, he went to a school where they actually used a phone and basically scanned him and then made a little tiny Brian Dunning. So I feel like someone needs to do a validation study of like scanning a whole human like that to be mm-hmm. able to get surface area measures. The thermal regulation person, of course, is thinking yes, about that. But like, I like that. Rather than doing like full, you know, full body CT scans and all these things that zap people with radiation, how valid is a phone scanner? I don't know. That's actually a really good question. I, I, right? I haven't seen Brian's little mini version of himself because I was like, I want to see it. And uh, he couldn't find it, but I'm trying to... <laughs> thing he lost himself he lost himself That's so so, he needs to find himself i'm sending him to a mountain to find himself <laughs> yeah hopefully so, this will be busted out soon so natalia so you are aware i have discovered also these came from uh uh california these are grapes they are called excuse me grapes they look they like look- the eggplant emoji so i've been calling them grape dicks but also and i don't know how well you can see it <laughs> But if you look at the tip, oh, maybe. Oh, it's too dark. Just the tip. Just the tip. There we go. They're like inverted at the tip. Oh, interesting. Like a little mouth. Like a little like, oh. Anyway, this is my fruit snack while uh, doing our interview today, as it was yesterday, but we never got to that because of internet issues. That was a pain in my keister. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know <laughs> that. The Moondrop one. They look like turds, too. It looks like Mr. Hanky the Christmas poo. Oh, right my on. gosh. Mm-hmm. We can call them poo grapes as well. So, so exactly. before we get to questions about your your keister, actually, we'd love to know oh, yeah, more about stuff. the 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 you. If there was a you before you were talking about your keister, which maybe there's not, but I I do know there was like acting, car accident, <laughs> um, all that stuff, yeah. and then back around again. So maybe you could uh, you know, so so the way we always we introduce this is is we want to know about the what how the sausage of the science is made, but we always start with how the you know, bad pun. Sausage of the scientist is made here, especially mm-hmm. if that sausage includes dick grapes. Okay, absolutely. Or people who like sausages. I, I you know, I... Uh, or I breakfast, am, no sausage. I am a vegetarian, but I make exceptions, if you know what I mean. Um, right on. Yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, like, how was that How was that scientist made? Well, I think I, I started yesterday a little bit, and if you want me to continue on this path, uh, the recurring King Kong nightmares uh, at, like child like real small i'm talking three years old uh and i remember hearing the footsteps and then king kong would eat my family members one by one until he got to me and then he would eat me the whole idea that you can't die in your dreams bs i die all the time but the first lucid dream i had i was able to shrink king kong down in my brain and by the time and i like i said i was at the house from silver spoons (laughs) And I opened the door and there was an orangutan there and it hugged me. And ever since then, I kind of was just enamored with with gorillas and primates in general. And I wanted to be a zoologist in elementary school. But when I got to junior high and high school, I was kind of flailing in math and science. And so I figured if I couldn't be a monkey chaser, I'd do the next best thing, which is comedy. Can I ask the house from Silver Spoons? I grew up on this. (laughs) This is Ricky Schroeder's uh, fictional home. Please indulge me. 
Yeah. Why were you there? I don't know. I I was upset. I mean, I loved you know, Punky Brewster was one of my favorite shows growing up, and it was paired with Silver Spoons, which was kind of like the two totally different sides of that coin. You know, you had the kid that was kind of grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, and then you had Ricky Schroeder who grew up in you know lap of luxury. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. A lot of and the funny thing is, I live in a house now with a lot of wood paneling. I feel like Ricky Schroeder's house had just tons of dark wood. I don't know. Maybe it's back to our our Dick grapes. I don't know what's going on um, okay. or why this well, is happening. Uh, the, the wood, it was the dark wood. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. No. So I don't know. I mean, I think I just it was a childhood sort of uh, fascination with these sort of shows. I love those. Okay. I just need to probe that. Proceed. Yes, exactly. No, probe away. And um, but yeah, I, I I leaned into the other thing I was good at, which was comedy and theater. So I became a theater geek. Graduated from high school and went to UCI as a, a theater major. But before that, I got my SAG card playing a dancing chicken McNugget in a McDonald's commercial, like one does. So in 1997, there was a slew of chicken McNugget commercials. They are on YouTube if you would like to find them. I was an oval-shaped m- nugget. Uh, as opposed to the more rectangular shaped nuggets, if you're familiar, uh, I was also vegetarian at this time, which made it slightly complicated. But um, I leaned into the role. I fell for the stunt. Stunt. How nugget. old were you? I was 18. 18. Yeah. So I actually was. My dad was the art director on the shoot, and I was his set. I was his set decorator's assistant. So I was set dressing on it. So when I was not a nugget, I was putting out the props and decorating the set and things of that sort and chumming. At one point I had to chum um, seagulls and my dad got very mad. Like I had to like, you know, feed them and get them on you know the set. And I was also a bikini girl at one point in this too. And my job was to run and make the seagulls run. So the, the seagulls ran into the shot. So it was very, you know, cinematic looking. But of course, I can't control what bird comes to these breadcrumbs and nothing but pigeons showed up. And my dad's like, God damn it. I want seagulls. I don't want pigeons. Come on, bikini girl. Yeah. Come the right bird. I know. I was like, I'm sorry, but I I apparently am not the uh the bird whisperer. But anyways, yeah, so that was the McDonald's commercial that you know, I got my SAG card. And then I did a year of, of theater school and I dropped out because I, for a myriad of reasons. And I moved to Venice Beach and just worked in the film industry for uh, a few years. But I took one anthropology class that first year at UC Irvine and I was hooked. It was a cultural class. You know, everyone can't be perfect. But um, okay. I, you know, I took bioanthro a few years later and that sealed the deal. So that was when I realized this is what I wanted to do. But I still didn't know how to do it. And I still worked in the film industry. I did worked in sitcoms. I worked on the Drew Carey show, a show called Cold Case, a bunch of other movies and shows and did commercial production. And uh, when I was 25, I got hit by a truck. And that was the catalyst, the literal catalyst (laughs) to get me to go back to school. So um, I realized, you know, when I was injured uh, that I was not living the life I wanted. This was, you know, silly. There's nothing wrong with being a professional stand-in, but that was not what I wanted. So I ended up going back to school at Cal State Northridge. And I worked with my undergrad advisor, Dr. Wendy Berkey, who helped me do my undergrad thesis, which was about Grower's Gorillas. And that was my goal was to work with Grower's Gorillas. And in 2008, I was going to go work with Gorilla CD uh, and teach people how to make compost burning briquettes because that was a thing that was happening at that time because charcoal harvesting was a huge problem in Virunga. But then it got really bad sociopolitically. General Nakunda was a, a huge problem in DRC and had actually, not, I think they now have blamed him for the killing of multiple mountain gorillas during that time. And so I did not go and I pivoted and worked uh, with spider monkeys. 
So that's how I kind of got on that track. And Dr. Christina Campbell was my my uh, graduate advisor and amazing. And and spider monkeys, if you are familiar, you know, they have the females have a hypertrophied clitoris. The males lack a baculum. They're very interesting and they're beautiful. And I love them. So then how did you loop things back into the science communication and kind of entertainment realm? Yeah, no. So I, I never stopped. I, w- I was in an improv right before I got hit by the truck. I got into an improv troupe and I did one show and then I got nailed. And uh, instead of kicking me out, they kept me around. So I still did improv all during that time with a leg brace limping around. And so even up and into college and into grad school, I was still doing a lot of improv and comedy. And I started pitching science comedy television shows to production companies in 2010. I believe was, yeah, where I just had come back from doing field work in Panama. And I remember the first show I pitched was called The Sordid Lives of Primates, <laughs> which was very niche and, uh, and a couple other anthro based shows. And I remember the production company was like, we like you, but this is, I, I don't, science comedy. I don't know what to do with this. And so I auditioned for a few other shows that were very expedition unknown archaeology shows still didn't book it. And so a friend of mine was like, you have the cameras, you write comedy, you perform, why don't you just make your own stuff? And he helped me make the very first video. He encouraged me to do the story of boobs of the breast tale ever told. And then also Valentine's Day, uh, a video about how humans aren't the only one that gives give gifts, hoping to get a little <clears throat> nooky, uh, that you will see chimpanzees giving pieces of fruit to females with sexual swellings, hoping to get a little bounce, chicka, bounce, bounce. So those were, uh, that was kind of my foray into starting to make those videos. They didn't go viral. I was even scared to show them. I remember Augustine Fuentes, who I'd met in 2010, the AAP, then PAs. And I must've had one glass of wine too many because I had the the cojones to stand up during the MPIG, or no, not the MPIG, the pig meeting and actually say, I'm a primatologist and I really want to start making you know, media for TV, digital platforms about primatology. And I, that's how I kind of got to know people. Because when I went to the first AAPA meetings for me, I did not know a soul. I was terrified. I like stood in the corner of rooms. I did not know anybody. None of my advisors were there. I knew, I think, two people from San Diego State. And I was like, can I can I please hang out with you? <laughs> but that pig meeting is where I met Blaine Maley, uh, James McKenna, Julian Rutherford, a bunch of other folks uh, that were doing a little bit more outreach. So that was kind of a way to sort of feel confident. And I remember Augustine was being very supportive of like, you keep doing this. And, and I remember I graduated from grad school feeling like I was flailing, like I didn't know what next, you know, cause I had no, nothing really lined up. And then I got a call from a New York phone number. And for some reason, my gut knew this was something big and it was the today show. It must've been a slow news week cause they Googled anthropologist and boobs. And that is how uh, they asked me to come on the Today Show to talk about America's obsession with with breasts in America. And it was a different, I mean, it's strange to think how different it was at that time. Because at one point I admitted on national television that I used to watch Skinamax as a child. And Ann Curry was like, wow, you just admitted that on national television. And it wasn't scripted. It wasn't planned. It just came out. And all the other women on the show, they were like a psychologist, a sociologist. And they're like, oh, I, I never did that. I, I would never. And I'm like, Bitch, come on. You scandalized the Today Show. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Are you a fan, I feel like you must be, of Mm -hmm. Isabella Rossellini's green porno? Absolutely. 
And she's doing a new show right now. Yes, I believe because I'm trying to do a live. I'm, I'm trying to combine the live shows that I have. So I'm doing a lot of research and other live shows that are being done in the science comedy or science communication uh, world. And she, I, I don't, oh my goodness, I don't remember the exact name, but I think she's doing a show soon. And I just adore her. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only, you know, is she absolutely stunning. I mean, Blue Velvet was a movie that I absolutely loved. So, um, you know, you're talking about, you know, putting all of these things together and you're starting to do some new stuff as well. Could you talk us through your process of one, how you come up with the ideas that you want to pursue? What is going on behind the scenes? Because as, as we all know at the podcast, there's always prep work that goes on behind the scenes that never makes it to the actual podcast. And then kind of like what the editing and, and the, the after, the, the post-production work. Give us, yeah. give us a walkthrough. Ooh, yeah, that's a great question because it's changed a lot through the years. As you can imagine, in 2010, 11, I would have to, I mean, I had good, ca- I had decent cameras, but I still had to hire somebody. And I'm very big on paying people. I'm very big on like, I don't like to ask for favors if I don't have to. Uh, so I'd have to hire, even if it was a small skeleton crew uh, and put together usually a shooter. I had, I finally bought sound equipment so I could run sound by myself. Uh, but I would put together like usually a small skeleton crew and I would shoot in my garage. Now I live in the same apartment right now that I've had since 2005. I was 26 when I moved into this apartment, which is wild. So I've shot a lot of stuff in here, but also in my garage. And that was kind of how I would do it. But I would write, sometimes I'd write them like a week out, but oftentimes, like for instance, after the Today Show, a few days after that air, Stephen Colbert made fun of us and was like, NBC, I saw you did a thing about boobs. What about butts? What about butt week? And I was like, oh my God, I have to do a rebuttal. And I I remember getting a message from a friend of mine in Boston, right? Exactly. My friend of mine in Boston was like, uh, oh my God, you're on, you're on Colbert. And, uh, and so within 24 hours, and this was, you know, now with TikTok and this silly little thousand dollar hand computer called an iPhone, I can whip something up in an hour, but then, you know, I still had 24 hours to basically shoot something in my, write something, shoot something in my garage, edit it and get it out there. And so it used to take a lot more time. Now, you know, usually uh, sometimes the ideas are, are things that are on my whiteboard. But like last week, it was Bisexual Awareness Week. And I didn't even know that because I feel like every week has like a new thing, right? Like, you know, National Teddy Bear Day, National Foot Rub week or whatever, you know? And so I was like, oh crap, I want to do misconceptions about bisexuality. And that was all done sort of on the fly. And then I was like, oh, you should do bisexual animals. So things of that sort sometimes happen very much just pulling it out of my butt or even like JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope. When that started producing images this summer, a lot of those were like, I would see an image and it would blow me away. And I was like, there's no way I can't say something about this, even though this is not my quote unquote lane. So um, it's definitely changed from the moment we have the idea to the, to the creation of it because of how technology has changed in the past 12 years. After Bigfoot Bounty, when, doc, when Todd Disatel and I were doing talking shit with Dr. Todd and Natalia, I'd have to fly to New York. I'd have to, we'd write the script sometimes together or separate, you know, it was a lot more heavy lifting. And I do with the TikToks, I do all my own editing, but with the other videos, I used to, you know, employ editors because... I like another set of eyes because I don't always trust myself. You know, it's good to have someone saying like, yo, Natalia, that's not funny. (laughs) You're old. (laughs) I've always had young hip editors that are like, um, that doesn't work. (laughs) Do you have a permanent editor who does that for you now? 
No, not unfortunately anymore because my editors, I, I am fortunate to have incredibly talented friends that have taken off in their careers of choice. So one, my main editor in the beginning, well, actually I've had a few, um, but May Cat was one for many years who is now, you know, she's a, I always knew, I met her when she was 17 and I always knew she was going to be a prolific writer. Like she's just so good. She's such a great writer and she's kind of taken off in, um, uh, she has written for Sam Raimi. She writes for a lot of different television shows. So I, I can't afford May anymore. And she's this, you know, this is not, this is small beans to her, but I've had other ones through the years that I've worked with. And like, for instance, most recently I froze eggs in last year and I've been working with an editor named Mackenzie Parker, who I just tossed him a bunch of footage. And I swear to God, I was like, I don't know what to do with it. I like, I need a moment. And he whipped up this beautiful sizzle reel. And it's like, that's where editors become heroes treasures it's true mm -hmm. uh, so we're talking to natalia reagan you can find her on her website she has a website nataliareagan.com also behold natalia on instagram and there are hundreds and hundreds of videos and one of the things that i wanted to ask you about because what we're doing right here is public engagement and we you know we work at our institutions uh karen and i do to get academics to do public engagement um, and one of the pushbacks is always uh, that it doesn't count in their career. So, so one of the things that you have been innovating and that, that we have been doing following you is developing public engagement uh, means of evaluating our, our public engagement. So I, I was wondering if you measure, you, you mentioned some like going viral, like how do you measure the impact of this type of work? And then both in the industry and the industry you're in and the industry we're in. How do you parlay <laughs> this kind of thing into a career advancement? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, I was just going to say on Instagram, at Natalia13Reagan's probably better. TikTok is behold Natalia, just so you know. Thank um, you. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, I no. Get, I, I, I used to. I don't well, have no, TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, I know. TikTok, it's, it's, it's a necessary evil for the, the young ones. Uh, but yeah, it's tough to kind of figure out how to, I, I mean, honestly, I haven't really cracked the code completely because I'm still, like I said, living in the same apartment I have since 2005. Where's my mansion? Where's the opulence? No, but I definitely. I love that you just switched into your TikTok voice. Yes, exactly. You just, you know, you know when you talk about opulence, you've got to put on the voice. But no, it's been, it's been a, it's tough. I mean, honestly, uh, like for instance, getting an email where someone tells me that what I've made has changed their way of thinking or has made them interested in something that almost means way more than getting, you know, um, going viral. You know what I mean? Cause sometimes you go viral for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? Like I have a video on, on TikTok right now about my accident, which there has been a lot of support and love on that video, but it has 7.2 million views. It's a 30, 60 second clip from my story collider show about me getting hit by the truck and how that made me go back to school. And it's, and it's the beginning of the story. So people are pissed that it's not the full story or they're pissed because they think it's stand up and it's not funny enough. And the, you know, I made a joke like, you know, the real, the real hilarity here is you waiting for my near death experience to be a knee slapper. You know, these things can go viral for a myriad of reasons because people are pissed right? Like, cause they don't like it. Right. And when they engage, it almost ups it in the algorithm, for instance. So when people, when I first got very sad and I woke up to a bunch of hateful comments or angry comments, I was like, Oh, where? but then I realized, Oh no, that's driving the algorithm. So that's why things like going viral can be great, but also I don't know how impactful they are 
in terms of, you know, and I think some of it is almost like Truman show where they like give you a little success and then they take it away and they give you a little success and like, and just make kind of make you think that you have control when you really don't. So I, I try to work multiple platforms for myself. Like, you know, there's, there's the TikTok, there's the Instagram, there's the Twitter, uh, there's the TV and, and, and digital platforms. Cause one of the things that I have, I guess, you know, the most experience, more experience than maybe some others that are doing science communication just in digital platforms is I've worked in television for years. So I know that world. But at the same time, you know, I realize that these things, you know, they take time. Um, also, it's also who's seeing it. For instance, that silly story of boobs video, it had maybe 200 views until a producer from the Today Show saw it. So it's not necessarily, you know, how many, it's who sees it. And, and I mean, my ultimate goal, honestly, is having just left academia and loving teaching, I still want to teach. I just would like to teach on a broader scale where I can actually survive too, because adjuncting was uh, sort of a dead end street in terms of a financial career option. But as far as how I gauge success, I mean, honestly, like nothing makes me feel better than when I go to a conference and somebody says, oh my goodness, I watched the talking shit series and it really like it made me laugh and I learned and this and that, or that TikTok cracked me up. Or even with Bisexual Awareness Week, I had friends saying like, thank you for doing this because as you know, a bi man, I felt kind of invisible and that maybe, you know, people didn't understand me. So th those are the, the moments that I really feel, feel the best, honestly. So I've watched Bailey and Macy 700 oh. times, by the way. <laughs> they, yeah. So, so Chris is talking about the uh, very uh, amorous, dare I say, pan or lesbian capuchin monkeys who are interspecies. They're not, one's a white-faced capuchin, one's a brown capuchin, uh, engaging a lot of uh, sexual activity. Uh, yeah, the capuchin monkeys have a, a hypertrophy clitoris. Uh, I can't remember which one has the one with the U-turn. Is it Haley? One of them has like, a, the clitoris is sort of bent. Hey, look, you know, we all have different shapes and sizes. We're very so diverse I'm, species. Exactly. Exactly. Us. Variation. Did you is see the, the different shapes and sizes of the grapes? I mean, right. It matches. It matches. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so and capuchins love grapes. So I, I think this is a video waiting to happen. We are, we have brought it full circle. Mm -hmm. yeah, Fra already. Franz DeWall's video. Exactly. Viral. We, he just had the wrong grapes. Right? <laughs> uh, you got cucumbers and oh my god and they kind of look like cucumbers now i also had the mini cucumbers for lunch today because <gasps> like cocktail cucumbers are a thing now but they make like they're great for packing for lunch it's and they're thing. so anyway, cute they are yeah. really cute so you you kind of alluded to it a little bit that you were adjuncting for a while and then you decided yeah. to leave academia uh and this is something that we have talked about before uh especially within our academic series about you know, the, the unequal distribution of power and uh, compensation when it comes to adjuncting work versus tenure track work. And could you tell us from your experience why adjuncting is a really tough position to be in and, you know, why folks might want to leave academia rather than continue along that route? Uh, well, it's funny. I'm actually working on a podcast right now about student loan forgiveness and uh, but also just talking about how tuitions have raised an astronomical amount in the past 20 years. However, <laughs> the payment of the bulk of the instructors and educators at institution institutions has not. So, you know, about 75 percent of uh, today's uh, institutions employ non tenure track educators, and a lot of them are doing a bulk of the teaching and they you know, many of those are what we consider adjunct and they make usually at or below poverty 
um, level, you know, 20 to 25,000 is around the annual estimate of a lot of adjuncts. And I can't argue with that. I have had some pretty ugly years the past few years. And uh, I only started doing it in 2019. Funny enough, I avoided teaching. Uh, and it wasn't like, oh, I hate it. I don't want to. It's just like, I prioritize science communication because I saw it as teaching on a broad scale, but then I had an opportunity to do it. And, you know, I'm very big on transparency. And that's another thing I think that happens in a lot of industries is we don't talk about m the money, about how much it pays. And so I've, I remember I've been asked by schools, like, how much does the semester cost? And I've been told so many times, oh, I don't know, or you're going to have to ask somebody. And I'm like, why don't you just know? Why don't we, why don't we, why is this like, it's almost like we don't, is it maybe the don't know? you. Uh, maybe as the don't know, <laughs> because you, you are embarrassed by it. But um, yeah, and oftentimes, like, I, I mean, if I really broke down how much I made at some institutions, it was around $150 a week per class I was teaching. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I remember one instance in particular, I was co-hosting a porn parody podcast, making more money for hosting two episodes than I did for the whole week of teaching biological anthropology. Uh, and you know, and that was just riffing on, uh, riffing on porn. That's all I was doing rather than putting out together a curriculum and, uh, you know, in, engaging with students and whatnot. So it, it is, I think a, a dead end situation. I don't see it changing quickly. I don't see it changing much even, uh, it's an easy way for institutions to exploit labor, you know, and, 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 and educators that might not have other skills. Like I am so lucky that in my past bag of tricks, I've done a, I've done like a gazillion random weird ass jobs that I can go, okay, well, teachers, teaching is not working out. Cause I did last semester I taught, um, at Cal State Dominguez Hills and I love my students. It was so great. It was my, the, the most amount of time I spent in a classroom teaching two sections of intro to biological anthropology and one section of human variation. But I, and I did it because I thought I was being responsible. I was like, I'm taking this job and it's going to pay not great, but decently. And I found out the hard way because I got hired sort of last minute, like a week before classes started that they pay over six months rather than 16 weeks. So when I picked up my first paycheck, <laughs> I wow. started crying <laughs> <laughs> and I walked over to payroll and I said, excuse me, what is this? Is this a month or is this, you know, two weeks? What am I look this? Please tell me this is two weeks. And they said, no, that's a month. Don't worry. It's because then you get paid all throughout the summer. And I was like, I don't want pay during the summer. I, I want it now. I like to work during the summer, you know, and they, and they're like, oh, but the deal gets sweetened because you get unemployment during the summer. And I'm like, ma'am and sir, I get unemployment if I work at another institution and get paid over 16 weeks during the summer and on top of it, because they're paying you so little during those quarters, because they spread it out, that means your base that they're pulling unemployment for is even smaller. So you get basically like a hundred dollars a week. And it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a, they're very smart. The state is very smart and uh, it's something that's not discussed. And I think it's, I, I'm, I would like to do more advocacy for it, but I am leaving it. And I feel bad for those adjuncts that don't have options because you really do have to have, you know, multiple other jobs. This has to either be a side hustle or something, you know, maybe you have a, a trust fund or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, but there's a lot of adjuncts that don't have that option and, and I feel for them. And I, I, I don't know exactly, I'd like to do either do a video series or, 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 you know, maybe, I mean, there has been writing about it in higher education and in other publications about this, but I don't, yeah, but I don't know what the that? answer is. 
Yeah. Pardon? I said, but who reads that? <sighs> I know. Right. So, I mean, you're speaking of the precarity of, I guess, the intermediate in the hierarchy, you know, between grad student and, and getting a tenure track position. And I and I want to I want to um, step back a real back of an earlier comment I made. I said, Karen and I are in one industry and you're in another, but you actually are straddling multiple. And I and I know you because you come to conferences. Right. So you're working in both of these fields and really have a better sort of vision of, of what everything is. So I, I hope that you do do that because as we're indicating, not everybody reads things, but they do watch your videos and they like your delivery. So I think that would be a service, but, but you, I, I want to, I want to come back to your, <laughs> your, your, your efforts yeah. to straddle the line. So you, you've been conspiring to get back to your old field site in Panama and start a primate field slash surf school. That was the goal. And hopefully we can still do it. Uh, yeah. So basically I, I studied the Azuero spider monkey on the Azuero Peninsula, which is on the Pacific coast of Panama years ago. I mean, it was just 2010. Um, I'm sorry. So yeah, 2010, I did a book on my field work and I worked on this one man's property and I fell in love with that space and it was, a it was available for purchase. And I went through kind of a long negotiation talk process and it, it, and it just sort of fell apart for a myriad of, of reasons. And it was a real bummer because honestly, it's, it's about 30 minutes from the best surfing in Panama. But, uh, so I, I wanted to kind of create a, not just a field school, but a biological field station because there's, uh, the, the ornithology opportunities there are huge. There's multiple species of birds that are endemic to this particular region that you could find. And then a lot of, um, migrating frigate birds, um, that come through that area as well. And, you know, herpetology, there's just like, so, uh, just a wealth of opportunity. And I, and I have community down there and that's why, cause people are like, why don't you do it in Costa Rica or this place or that place? And it's like, you know, if you have a field site, if you have a place you've been returning to for years, and even though I didn't spend years down there at, at a time, I have like, they're like family. When they see me, they're like, where have you been? Why haven't you been visiting? Like, you know, it's, it's this sort of, uh, unspoken, you know, you're part of this now. And I wanted to, to do that. And so I'm hoping to still go down there because one thing that I want to continue doing is have some sort of involvement in primate conservation. That's why I went into it in the be to begin with in the first place. And I felt like I was drifting too far for that from that for a while, especially when the science communication, because you know, I moved to New York. I worked with Neil deGrasse Tyson on that show and that show got canceled. That's kind of what I started teaching, you know, and then I still, I, so I'm in it, but I'm not doing what I would immediately, what, what drove me there in the first place was primate conservation. So that's what made me kind of reevaluate, like, how can I get back into doing that conservation work? And I had started talking to the organization that I originally worked with about maybe doing uh, monkey bridges in this area, because there's a lot of um, roads that cut through forest and these monkeys are crossing the road or crossing power lines and getting electrocuted. So yeah, the, the yeah, I know it's, it's, yeah, no, no barbecued, Heller monkey for me. Thank you. It's really sad though, but you, it happens, you know, you see these poor monkeys crossing uh, power lines or, you know, getting hit by cars. And so um, creating sort of wildlife crossings, whether it's a bridge or in the case of here in Los Angeles, uh, Beth Pratt is working uh, to create a wildlife crossing here in Los Angeles for things like P22, our mountain lion and all sorts of other wildlife. But because human human encroachment is a huge problem. We like to kind of do what we want. And we don't realize that when we create a road, we are cutting, we are literally cutting a habitat in half, you know, and there's these animals that are like, yo, that, that's how I get, how do I get to the other side without, you know, crossing? Okay, fine. I'm going to try. But then, you know, you get 
animals getting hit by cars. Sizzled so. or hit. Yes. Sizzled or hit. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm still, we're, we're, we're hoping to, I, I've been reaching back out to see if there's any other pieces of property. Cause basically the land that I wanted to buy, the man didn't have the title in his name quite yet. And I didn't know that towards, you know, it, yeah, it became very clear that this was not going to be a thing. And uh, it, it broke my heart because I did have investors ready to, to go because they were excited about this prospect. So follow up, and I'm not sure which one to ask, so you choose. So are you a surfer or, and the other question is, what was working with Neil deGrasse Tyson like? Choose one. <laughs> Uh, well, the surfing thing, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a poor surfer. I like to lay on the board like a, like a, like a splayed out frog and just wait for the waves. And if I catch one cool, if not, I'm going to enjoy myself. Uh, I loved it. I did it on my days off in Panama, but again, I, I joke that I'm a poor surfer, but I, there's plenty of, so the best surf is down there in this one particular area in Playa Vanal. And I just saw it as a great opportunity to give students, you know, like, Hey, you can study wildlife. We'll teach you how to put together a research project. We'll teach you to chase monkeys, look for herps, but you can also go surfing or deep sea fishing or snorkeling. Cause they have all sorts of these really cool uh, horseback riding. Like I did a lot of my, a lot of my field work I did on horseback. And then the other question, so working with Neil, it was, you know, working on that show was a great opportunity to, you know, I mean, it was, it was writing comedy for a television show. And so it was a lot of the things that you see, you know, for instance, when you watch a late night show and they come up with bits and, and little, and like little sketches and visual you know, comedic elements, things that I do in my own videos, doing it for him and that show. So it was a lot of fun. Um, I know that when I moved there, though, I thought it was going to be a little bit different. And so I had to kind of hustle more than I ever had before. When I when I moved there, I thought it was going to be a kind of a steady job. I was going to be on every episode because it was kind of like, welcome to the family. And then it was like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll not call you when we need you, but like, we don't need you every episode. And I was like, what? <laughs> So I sometimes would have to campaign to work on certain episodes. And one of them was the Frank Oz episode. Now I grew up with the Muppets and I was like, yo, I'm sorry. I'm the oldest person in this writing room. You got to have me. Nobody knows who like Sweetums is and like all the, you know, uh, oh my God, I, New Zealand and all the different Muppets that are kind of the old school Muppets. And please let me have this opportunity. And I, I finally campaigned and got in and we, I ended up creating a, a bit where there were different puppets. There was the Neil puppet. There was that Adam Kovener puppet. There was the, um, I believe it was Charles Liu was the scientist. Yep. On that episode. And so they each had their own puppet and it was such a hit and it was such a joy to see kind of something you come up, came up with and you're like, we have to do this come to life. Uh, so it was a wonderful opportunity and, and hosting that podcast too was great because it, I, I guess sort of free range to, to play with different topics and have people on that. I just felt, I don't know, uh, honored to be talking to them about, science. But yeah, it was, it was, and, and moving to New York at 38, you know, a lot of people move there when they're like, I'm 23 and I'm going to move to the big apple. I was like, I'm 38 and I'm going to move 12 times in the next four and a half years. And I'm tired. <laughs> it was exhausting. <laughs> so this, I, I, I love this story for one, because you returned to an old form an old medium with puppets to, and kind of brought that back to life with the Neil deGrasse Tyson show. And it also, you know, makes us think, where is science communication and what modalities are we going to be moving towards? As you said, like TikTok for the young kids and it's a necessary evil. What do you think the next necessary evil is that we're going to have to start <laughs> reaching people uh, at all levels? Yeah, I, I w if I could infuse more puppets in anything, I would. <laughs> 
Uh, I, as far as where I think science communication is going, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. It's so funny that you say that because every so often I get these emails, which I'm sure they're well-meaning, but they, they tend to mansplain what I'm doing wrong and how I should be like this person or that person or this person and so on and so forth. And um, I think a lot of people are doing science communication their own way. And I, I like that. And I like that it's not one way or the highway, you know, um, I've been pitching a late night science comedy show since 2011. Think daily show, but with science and think going out to the, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be all in studio. There could be field pieces just like they do like on Kimmel and all these other shows where you do know, man on the street, woman on the street, you know, Bill anybody Nye on the street for, for adults. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and Bill Nye Saves the World was kind of a foray into that. A little bit different, but yeah. And in fact, the funny thing is the show that I pitched, it used to be called the the show that I pitched it as called Science Rules, which is now the name of Bill Nye's new podcast, which is, I mean, like, look, it's not a very original name. I'm not. I was going to say, but, that's very cutting edge. How did he come up with that? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's it's not the best name in the world that I, I but it was the name that I pitched Wait, did he do R O O L Z also? No. Oh, okay. No. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, that was uh, that's a show that I would love to see happen or even like I mean honestly seeing women doing adventure shows cuz that's something that I've pitched for years that oftentimes they're like, "Yeah, I like that, but like do you have a male co-host you'd like to work with?" Or, you know, or being attached to shows that were supposed to be traveling adventure shows, but we also want a male co-host who could you Suggest. Introduce them to the Burn It All Down podcast, which is an right? all woman led <laughs> podcast where they talk about nothing but sports. So I like this. Fuck those people who say you need a male co host. Mm hmm. Sorry. Is that your podcast also, Kara? Fuck those people. <laughs> yeah. Should be. The, the, the Eat Shit and Die podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, uh, I don't take well to that. I generally, uh, I pretty, I, I do. Sometimes I do wonder if I've ruffled people's feathers because I, I can be pretty outspoken about that kind of shit. And I don't, you know, like years ago, and I, I've worked with Discovery quite a bit, but years ago, Discovery, it was probably beginning of 2019 or 18. They had a 30 second, actually, it might have been a 45 minute or 45 second spot where it was a commercial about their shows. And it was every human in this spot was a male until about 30 seconds in. Yeah, it must have been like a longer spot. 30 seconds in, there was a woman that was being led through a forest by a man. And I think it was from Naked and Afraid because you, it, if she appeared naked. But aside from that, it was all men. And of course, a lot of the women science communicators on Twitter erupted like, wait a minute, hold up. And so, you know, there is, I think, a lot of backlash um, and people now sort of opening the door for female science communicators and scientists to do this. But for a long time, it's been, you know, I got I told a lot of no's, um, especially doing the science comedy, because, you know, we, I don't know if you got the memo, but women aren't funny. And so, you know, we definitely can't be trusted to do science comedy, um, much less any comedy. So that's uh, that's definitely what I've had to contend with. But I'm hoping that continues to change. And actually, I, I, I just started working with a new agent who works in touring comedy, and her name's Claire Armstrong, um, and she's amazing. And we are talking um, and working on basically putting together all the live shows that I do, like whether it's debunking or deconstructing myths about human behavior, race, gender, sexuality, um, the evolution of boobs, butts, and balls, uh, you know, pansexual primates, and putting together a show 
that could potentially travel, you know, so like a, a live stage show that would tour because I do think that would be, I think, a fun show to, to take around, uh, whether it's college campuses, you know, kind of basically how, how did we get here? You know, let's break down human evolution in the first 15 minutes from, you know, like, you know, let's talk about TikTok and that, that asshole who came up on land and how it ruined it for the rest of us. But here we are. And it kind of, and another thing I'm working on too, is a podcast called survival of the filthiest. Yeah. I love so, all of these things and I'll <laughs> totally volunteer to be a, a correspondent. If you need want another that. sausage on the team, right? I want that. I love it. Love the the comedy, the the touring comedy troupe for science. <laughs> all, all of these ideas are fucking wonderful. So. I will you are my missing sausage link. I will sit in the background eating my awkward grapes the entire time, yes. silently. <laughs> Which look like oh. little Jimmy Dean sausage links. So it's Don't like worry, it could be Kara, the. I, I'll volunteer you. As, there you as go. I, yeah, as you do. <laughs> as, 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 as I take my male prerogative and tend to do, she's like, what the fuck? And I'm like, sorry. Sorry. No. Okay. So we could talk to you all day, but I have three jokes loaded into this question, this final yes. question. Please. To, to bring us around. So what do you and Vicky do for fun after eating at Sizzler with all the money we're not paying you for exposure on this podcast? Oh, goodness. That's great. Well, we usually like to take it home, play a game of two of Uno, just to kind of mix it up and uh, maybe watch a few episodes of Golden Girls, because that's how we like to wrap up a Saturday night. Right mm -hmm. on. So, yeah. so there, there maybe on, a few lines on. of ketamine. The, I need to know how contentious, yeah, yeah. how contentious does your Uno game get? Uh, I mean, I have lost at least one unit of blood. Vicky is, uh, she's no joke. She's got nails. She knows how to use them. And uh, I, I know that I just need to, to stay stay in my place, stay in my place with her. Yeah. But but really, the question is, what do you do for fun when you're not being funny? Oh, goodness. Oh, this is a fun one. What do I like? Well, I just started 3D printing skulls. That's a whole hell of a lot of fun. 40 hours of good time. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I love, uh, you know, uh, God, I also, well, I volunteered an animal sanctuary called animal tracks that I, I love and adore. And, um, I've been making videos for them to kind of help them out because they run on donations and they have multiple species of, of monkeys and they have kangaroos, they have uh, hybrid wolves and all sorts of, you know, they have a Frank, the tank, a six banded armadillo with a seven inch long wiener. Yeah. Armadillos run around with their dicks out all the time. Right. They like are the, the flashers. The That's why they get hit all the time in the road because they trip over them and fall. <laughs> is, is that what we're going with? <laughs> is that? <laughs> what, Sorry, what you I say, tripped over my dick. <laughs> likes to blurt out stuff like this in her videos, and then she's like, "I don't, I don't maybe not something like that." Maybe so I, just maybe I got that just wrong. Consider that me bullshitting in in in, in as uh, inspired by Natalia. <laughs> Thank you. You nailed it. Just like you nailed that armadillo that was tripping over its own dick in the road. Boom. That's true. And if anyone wants to figure out what jokes I was alluding to, you've got to go down the TikTok wormhole. <laughs> um, there are several videos that y you will find the answers to those references to. Oh, Natalia, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, and one thing I forgot to mention yeah. is I did record and I am, I am editing them now. Um, I recorded a bunch of episodes of science for social change at the, um, the AABAs, which is basically a, a podcast that looks at current research that's being done and how it, how it is either affecting or is affected by current social issues. So wonderful. Awesome. We'll look forward yeah. to that. And again, thank you so much for your time and 
Thank you so, so you much. You can find Natalia. I told you two addresses. What's your Twitter handle? At Natalia13Reagan. Okay. If you want to talk to me, I'm at Chris underscore L-Y. And if you want to Yay. talk to Kara, she's... At Kara Akabak. Her name. The boring we've been the sausage of science. <laughs> Thank you all Thank for Thank you all. That word. There it is. <laughs> Yay!